Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. This is Bewilderbeasts, an infotainment show dedicated to inspiring curiosity for all ages by investigating the ways animals intersect at humanity. I am not a historian, an ethologist, a researcher, a scientist, a zoologist, a trained audio engineer, or an expert in, well, anything. Y'all, I'm lucky if I can remember to put my clean laundry in the dryer before it gets funky. And while I make every effort to present things as accurately as I can with a fun flair, I'm going to mess up. And that's okay. I hope I've given you a nice place to jump off from on your own adventures into curiosity, or at the very least, I've given you the key to win your next round of trivia. and welcome to Bewilderbeasts. I'm your host, Melissa Mickey McGrath. Today, I'm recording 3,124 miles from Redmond, Washington. On today's episode, we are finally going to talk about those dang moose who died in a swamp. All right, let's go. Okay, remember that switcheroo episode from April Fool's Day? I am... Not sure which episode Nick actually decided to go with on his end of things, but I did send him two episodes. One was Julia Child's shark repelling cakes, and he suggested chicks in space. And both were history episodes that crossed over with food in some meaningful way, animals in some meaningful way, and seemed to fit both of our audiences nicely. In the OG intro for the chicks in space episode, I forgot it was way back then in episode 55. I had mentioned these moose of New Sweden, Maine. And we ended up cutting that out for the crossover episode. No one needed to hear me wax on and on about flannel shirts and earning my you're a mainer now card. But here it is, that story. Finally. (laughs) I found the whole display completely fascinating. My kiddo loved being up this close to two giant bull moose in real life, even in their afterlife. And that piece at L.L. Bean inspired this entire episode. So if you're ready, I am too. Bundle up. It's spring in New Sweden, Maine, where this whole story begins. The town is New Sweden, Maine. It's right at the northeast top bumpy part of this state. If you look at a map, it's right near the Canadian border. And as Mainers would say, she's way up there, yes, above. New Sweden is right near Stockholm, Maine, also a Swedish town. And the Connor Unorganized Territory which in Maine speak is an area with no local incorporated municipal government. If you need government services or administrative anything to do with your taxes, y'all can't go to town hall. There isn't one. You have to instead talk to the state or the county government and being up in a rustic county, what Mainers consider potato country and what real Mainers just call the county, it'll be quite some time before you can get what you need. And for funsies, the unorganized territory of Connor had 418 residents in 2020. 418. In Somerville, Massachusetts, there were 438 children in just pre-K through grade 8 that same year. And that was one of 10 schools through the city. 418 is not a lot of people. Anyway, Adela Johnson was walking through her property in New Sweden, Maine in 2006. 
she said that she smelled that smell. And you know that smell if you've ever been around a dead animal at all in your life. If you're lucky, it's in the woods. If you're unlucky, it's in the walls of your house. And she did what we would all do if we lived in a town without Fios and with 418 people. You follow that scent and figure out what exactly happened. At the very least, you're going to have a great story to tell in town. And a good story she had indeed. As she trudged through the property that spring morning, not unlike the spring days that we're experiencing right now. Very muddy, chilly mornings, warmer days, lots of rain with peaks of sun, with its vitamin D punch that you haven't had since the previous September. She neared the bog on her land, and it was in this bog that there were two dead moose. Adela knew that this was unusual, knew that this was rare. She had seen moose before. You see them all the time in the county. They walk up the driveway, they knock antlers around, and they fight, but not like this. Before her eyes was something incredibly rare, and Adela knew this. For these two moose to get stuck and locked and die in the heat of battle... While they were not well-preserved, she knew that the antlers would be worth something. Maybe it could help kids learn about nature or be part of a museum or something. And while it was her right to keep these impressive antlers and have mounted them and displayed them at her own family camp, as all good camps seem to have antlers of some sort affixed to a doorway of a log cabin or in your living room, Adela instead called the Maine Wardens and donated these two locked antlers and the moose with them to the state of Maine. There was only one problem, though. When it comes to funding and money and extra cashola laying around, the Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife is not usually the department to have such luck. This is where the knight in shining flannel comes in to save the day. L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean, home of the once, though not anymore, lifetime guarantee for backpacks, pants, anything, for any reason, could go back to the store for replacement or repair. There are now, understandably, asterisks, and exceptions, but even their outstanding outdoor gear, warm flannel, which I did not believe was gonna be any warmer than anything else I owned, and I was so wrong. (laughs) I will never be cold again. I'm wearing one right now. It is not exactly the most form-fitting, but it is warm, so I'm never gonna go back to the meh flannels again. You may also know them for their Bootmobile, a 13-foot high, 20-foot long, road-ready replica of the iconic L.O. Bean boot. So if you're driving down I-95 and see a story-high boot flying by you at 75 miles an hour, you did not lick a cane toad. You are actually correct. According to LLBean.com, a second Bootmobile was added in 2013, and in 2019, Bootmobile 3.0 was officially added to the fleet. The Bootmobile's mission is to surprise and delight, which it did. You can't not be happy seeing a giant duck boot driving down the highway. (laughs) (laughs) Our three bootmobiles have covered more than 350,000 miles, appeared at hundreds of events in 25 states, two countries, and dozens of college campuses. For all of my Arrested Development fans and friends out there, there are dozens of us. Dozens! You can also follow their shenanigans, their joke, not mine, and request the bootmobile. So kids... If you are looking for a unique birthday party idea, it's not really a bouncy house, but a boot car, pretty sweet. But they have one other thing that's super cool and really informative, a taxidermy scene at their main store. Well, also main store, as there are a half dozen specialty L.L. Bean stores on their campus. Yep, 
campus. It's like an outdoor shoppy college quad, but yes, their main main store has a full window display called the Final Charge, displaying those two moose who died locked in battle over what we can just assume was rutting season. That time of year where male moose and male, well, pretty much everything get really aggressive and will fight for female moose in this case. They will also fight literally anything like the villain in old timey cartoons, moose versus people, check you'll lose. Moose versus parked car. Check. Also, the car will lose. Moose versus driving car. Check and yikes. Those accidents are 13 times more deadly than car versus deer. I once saw an accident on the highway and the car was pancaked. The front seat was where the back seat was supposed to be and this Subaru looked like a Barbie mobile, but in the front of the car was a moose that was obviously dead. But if you didn't see the car, you would just think that the moose just fell over where it stood. If you had just popped it up like a toy laying on its side, it would just look like a fine, living, uninjured moose. I didn't see much blood, if any. The injuries to the moose were likely all internal organ injuries from being hit by a car at 70 plus miles an hour. But the car? I don't know if the people survived. But if they did, they are the luckiest people ever. It was like the car hit a brick wall at over 100 miles an hour. And what happens is when you hit a moose, a very, very tall animal, you take out their legs. And that massive, hulking, 1,500-pound body comes crashing down onto the top of your car. And then you have a pancake Subaru. My stepfather once told me of the time that he was driving home and a young male moose was in the road just looking at him. It was before cell phones, so he didn't really have the opportunity to take a picture. He just sat there in awe of this majestic, towering beast, thinking as we all do, wow, he's bigger than I thought. And then the majestic, towering beast who lowered his head and lined up with my stepfather's car and started to trot and then run. And all my stepfather could do was toss her in reverse, gun it, and go as fast as he could backwards down the quiet road, which was decidedly less quiet with a grunting, charging male moose and a 1980s muscle car in reverse down a one-lane dead-end street. <laughs> My stepfather was so lucky he was able to turn the wheel and back into a neighbor's driveway and just cut the engine. And from there, he watched the moose run by down the road. The closest thing to a moonshiner run from the cops I'd ever heard in my life was my stepfather banging his Camaro in reverse to escape a moose. The dead two moose, though, in the display that weighed over 1,500 pounds. But wait, I thought you just said one moose might weigh up to 1,500 pounds. Well, we'll get to how these two moose and a full scene weigh a dainty 1,500 pounds. But they were only one of two displays of locked taxidermy moose in the world. The other is in New Hampshire. L.L. Bean wants you to know, though, that the New Hampshire display is a little bit smaller. Gauntlet thrown. According to the display's creator, Mark Dufresne of Nature's Reflection Taxidermy, quote, it's an absolute freak of nature. That's what's so unique about this. There was a one in a million chance that these two moose would lock antlers. It was another one in a million chance that someone would find the antlers intact. According to my favorite author, Terry Pratchett, one in a million chances happen nine out of 10 times. When finding information on this specific L.L. Bean showcase of the showman moose, I came across a few 
two others, including two locked moose found in the frozen water of Alaska, a display duo of dead dude moose in New Hampshire that are forever locked in taxidermied battle, in New Hampshire, which was done by Mr. One in a Million himself, taxidermist Mark Dufresne. <laughs> Same guy did both. And just to put it out there, one true one in a million chance. In one really, really rare incident that is not moose related at all, but instead deer related, three bucks got locked in Ohio. Deer are often measured by points, as in the number of branches coming off their antlers. According to gothunts.com, quote, looking at the horns, it looked like the seven and the 11 pointer were battling and only one side of their horns were locked. But then the 10 pointer came in and was on the opposite side and his main beam went around the base of each of the other antlers and his tines went up on the inside of their beams and locked all three of them together. The vocal reenactment? The seven and 11 pointer started fighting in the words of my favorite murder, toxic masculinity ruins the party again. Then along comes good old number 10 point. I'll save you guys, don't move. I'll just slam as hard as I can right here and separate you and, uh, uh, guys, <laughs> guys, y'all are not going to believe this. And then they died. But back to the moose, which makes this particular taxidermy piece so incredible and so incredibly difficult, was that they never unlocked the antlers. Never. And the moose antlers can be over six feet from tip to other tip. Is your dad six feet tall? Have him lay on the ground. One tip of the antler is his toe, the other is his head. Once the moose died, with their antlers locked, these antlers told the story of their final seconds, hours, days, and months. It was crucial to the storytellers that they never became unlocked since they first locked in the fall of 2005. But the bodies were too decomposed, so taxidermist Mark Dufresne had to study and recreate their bodies, which he did with foam. Hence why the display is not 300,000 pounds or more. This elaborate educational diorama incorporates nature, death, art supplies, and he brought these dead moose back to life in a moment frozen in time. So kids, if you want to find a way to use nature, engineering, a Susan of Etsy craftiness, and you are really in touch with your inner Wednesday Adams, taxidermy may be for you. And you thought your foam board dioramas would not teach you anything about living in the adult world. Ha! Mark and a five-person team spent over 500 hours reconstructing these moose final moments. Spread over time, that is 20 straight days without eating or sleeping or anything. And lots of problem solving, engineering, and is this the right color brown for the hawk? After the foam was cut and articulated to where Mark wanted the moose to be for eternity, no pressure, I'm guessing with a whole lot of a little to your left. No, 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 your other left. Liquid urethane foam was then poured into the empty spots and the joints, which hardened like glue. They were then shaped and shaved and molded and trimmed just to get the muscling correct before being sent for adding the steel frame and the skins and a whole lot of hand sewing. Pay attention in home ec kids in case you ever need to re-sew a skin onto a foam mousse. Then the hard part getting the antlers mounted just right. Because they were still locked, both moose had to be in the exact right position and the antlers mounted to both moose at the same time. So once in, they were bolted into place. 
They were then wrapped in plastic so the glue would take longer to dry, which you might think is counterintuitive. You want glue to dry fast, right? Well, this isn't fixing a broken Tonka truck or wheel or broken soldier. You need this to be done right. This was so as the forms were drying, if something shifted, they had time to reposition and get things situated and tweak until the final seconds of glue hardening. We've all seen taxidermy fails and these guys wanted to do this right. So if you haven't seen taxidermy fails and you find such things funny, as I do, remember Sad Otter, who we discussed in season one, go find bad taxidermy and just laugh. But this is the opposite. This is what good taxidermy can do. It can educate and inspire curiosity and Mark freaking nailed it, y'all. One in a million chance and he nailed it twice. A few other things about moose to inspire curiosity. They are the largest of the deer family in the world and can be a full story tall. Over 10 feet, y'all. Basketball hoop. We've been over this. And they are fast, as I've mentioned before. But one thing I learned is that they have an unlikely predator. Okay, so before we get to who that predator is, moose can hold their breath for over a minute in part due to being able to fully lock off their nostrils, like a door closing. And this is so they can submerge themselves completely underwater and eat aquatic vegetation off the ground of lakes and streams and the ocean. It's not uncommon to look over at a lake in northern Maine and just see a moose rise from the water like Halle Berry coming out of the water in that James Bond movie. But as a result of them standing fully on four legs or swimming from island to island off the coast of Alaska and western Canada to get food, you do know who else is in those waters looking for food, right? Orcas. So stick with me. Moose hair is hollow, which helps them stay warm into temperatures under 60 degrees Celsius. That's so cold. They also, due to having hollow hair, act as like little micro light vests helping keep moose buoyant and afloat in the water. And while they're great swimmers, they are fast swimmers. They top out at about five miles an hour, which might not seem that fast. But Michael Phelps swims at peak at 4.7 miles per hour. He is the fastest swimmer known to everyone. <laughs> an average human, you or me, two miles an hour. So yes, they are super good at swimming for a mammal. In the summer, you might see them in a swimming pool to cool off or water of any sort to find food and stay cool. Because that same hollow insulating hair that keeps them warm in the winter does not seem to help them stay as cool in the summer. They struggle in the heat as soon as the temperatures hit a nice 60 degrees Fahrenheit, which right now would seem like a super warm summer day to me, but in September will feel like the depths of winter coming off of a hot summer. Anywho, when you get a moose swimming island to island in the ocean, and orcas looking for food in the ocean, it's not surprising that moose carcasses in Vancouver have been found with injuries that track with orca bites. And even the hit 90s, early 2000s mega cool group TLC had a song just for moose. It had a warning that clearly has gone unheeded all this time. Don't believe me? Their hit song Waterfall famously advises moose to, please stick to the rivers and lakes like you're used to. Can't get eaten by an orca if you're not in the ocean. And you can't get eaten by an orca if you're a drunk moose stuck in a tree. In old Sweden, as in the OG Sweden, as in the country Sweden, not new Sweden, as in Maine, wow, there's a lot of Swede-heavy material today. 
a moose who found enough fermented apples to lead the series of bad decisions, according to a newspaper, it appeared that the moose was trying to climb the tree and reach a hanging fruit, probably in the same way that humans think that they are Superman after one too many craft beers, or sing at karaoke like Shania Twain. It's me. I'm some people. Anyway, it's not uncommon for animals to find fermented fruit in the fall that have fallen off of the vine, off of the tree, off of the bush, and then the animal is off his rocker. And luckily, the emergency team managed to pull the animal out of a tree that night, giving it a little bit of time to sleep off its buzz before heading back into the woods, probably with an epic hangover. So that's it for today, guys. I promise no more dead moose for a while. I just find the taxidermy thing so fascinating. And this particular piece standing in front of it before I went in and spent a whole lot of money on flannel shirts, it was just so awesome. And in the real meaning of the word, awesome, I was full of awe. These moose were so big. And the way that their antlers were locked and the way that the eyes conveyed a little bit of panic and desperation, the legs looked like they were in motion, even though they were frozen in time. It's all an incredible feat of engineering. I also learned while doing this story that Adela Johnson, the woman who found the moose locked in New Sweden, Maine, was born in all places, Caribou, Maine. <laughs> and she died in 2021. Her obituary indicated that she was just as sweet in life as she was in the last few sentences that credit her for finding the moose to begin with. So Adela, thank you. And thank you for listening today. If you have animals in history, science, pop culture, fantastical displays of your local outdoor store, or maybe the opposite of good taxidermy on display at your local kid's toy store, anything at all, send it into bewilderbeespod at gmail.com. Visit there to leave a voice memo if it's easier for you. Contact me or get info about the Patreon, which is all super fun. Check out for extra episodes of the show and episodes coming down the pike for summer when I'm on break from the main feed. So I'm Melissa McKee McGrath, dog trainer, author, presenter, host of this little show, all of it telling you, yes you, right there, to go get curious. I got today's information from TewksburyTribune.com, TheSunJournal.com, PressHerald.com, FieldAndStream.com, LLBean.com, Maine Public, PBSLearningMedia.org, ACSH.org, New Hampshire Wildlife Heritage.org, NWF.org, MrLakefront.net, and two videos that you need to see. A video of a man's car getting absolutely destroyed by a moose in rutting season on YouTube, and how big is a moose on YouTube as well. You can also go to gothunts.com and an absolutely mandatory video on how orcas are predators of moose. That will be going up on all the socials and it's definitely in today's links. And all of the links, especially the one on the orca predating moose, it's animated and no one gets violently harmed. It's a great learning video for all ages, I think, are in the descriptions of the episode. Intro, outro music is tiptoe off the back by Dan Leibowitz. Incidental music by MK2. Extra music and effects by Pixabay and freesound.org. As always, please tell a friend, especially the bit about orcas as moose predators. It's so wild. And give a little like, a thumbs up, a five star, however you do you on your rating app of choice. Or just where you're listening right now. It makes me happy. Every time you rate a show, a drunk moose loses a hangover. So help the moose go review the show. 
Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you next week. Bye. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at Podfix on Twitter, official underscore Podfix on Instagram, at Podfix Network on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.